Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them across the UK. This story is told by Scarlett. At our night at the Hackney Attic, when the theme was promises. Um, So this is a story about a promise that my grandma made. Um, I would say, to start with, I'll give you... I'll try and describe her a little bit, because any picture you've got in your head of what someone's grandma is like is probably not a lot like my grandma. For a start, she's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and is very active on all of them. Um, And she, she follows me and my brothers as well, which at first we were all really nervous about what we were gonna post because we kept thinking we were gonna post something that she would, I don't know, t- sort of take offense to. But then I've seen her repost some things that had some questionable language in it. Um, words beginning with C that I'm literally, I can't even repeat some of the things that my grandma retweeted. That made me think, oh, actually, she's probably a lot more worried about us following her than we are about her following us. Um, she's a massive Harry Potter fan, uh, collects all the Harry Potter memorabilia. She, uh, she's just, she's a very, she's a very interesting, ungrandmotherly woman. Um, but also a, f- a fantastic person. Um, but she's also a really massive fan of Brighton Football Club and goes to all of their matches. Um, so she made a promise to her friends that if they won their next match, which I'm told was very, very improbable, she was going to get their logo tattooed on her arm. And they did win. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it'd be one of those kind of throwaway comments where you'd assume that they would never go through with it. But my grandma being a very kind of strong-minded woman, she was like, I said I would do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, my brothers have got quite a few tattoos, so they, they said that they would find a tattoo parlor for her in Brighton that wasn't too dodgy. Um, so they did a bit of research and found one that they thought would be quite nice. And they were like, okay, well, if you're serious about this grandma, like, go here, they'll take care of you, it'll be nice. Um, So I went down to Brighton with her and we turned up at this tattoo parlor where she said that that was the one that my brothers had set her up with. And it just, it didn't kind of look like what I was expecting based on their description. It was sort of down in a basement. It was, it just like for a tattoo parlor, it probably wasn't that dodgy, but for somewhere that you would go with your grandma on a Sunday, it felt really dodgy. And there were all these kind of guys there who were, had like sort of pinup girls with, dragons with fire and flaming aces and everything and I was kind of like I I just don't feel like this is where my grandma was supposed to be and it did turn out that actually she had got the wrong place and it was that was one of the worst ones in Brighton um but she this guy came out and he was sort of saying like it's it's gonna hurt a bit I hope you're all right with that and she sort of you know She's a woman who grew up in a slightly sort of rough part of London, who had survived a war, who'd commuted into work for two hours when she was heavily pregnant at the age of 21. So she just kind of looked at him and she was like, I think I'm going to be fine. Um, And she went in there and she came out and she has this massive Brighton Seagulls logo now tattooed on her arm. Um, she said it didn't hurt a bit. Um, she also told me that she hadn't told my granddad she was doing it. She was like, he won't mind. Um, but yeah, she's told me that if Brighton win the premiership, this or I don't know, get promoted. I don't know anything about football. I'm not as cool as her. Um, if Brighton get promoted to the premiership this year, she's promised she's going to get a second tattoo on the other arm. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm desperately hoping they win because that would just be fantastic to see. Thank you. <laughs> That was Scarlett. Next up is Brian. With another story about promises. 
Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Brian, and the true story I'm going to tell tonight is a story of a promise that I made to myself quite a few years ago. When I was uh, younger, I had a, a severe stammer, and it really affected me when I was at school and uh, growing up. And um, a few, well, and the, I had something I would never ever do was to talk about my stammer to my family, my friends, or anyone, or even when I was uh, grown up, I wouldn't even talk about it. And people used to keep saying to me, Brian, talk about your stammer, it will help you. And I just turned around to them and said, well, I, 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 I won't swear, but <laughs> I just said, go away, leave me alone. <laughs> I'll, I'll sort it out myself, which obviously, which obviously I never did. The only sort of treatment I got was when I was 20, I went to um, NHS uh, hospital. And um, this young lady that was there, she, um, it was on the third week I went there, and she was getting me to read Janet and John books, <laughs> which, uh, which something is uh, what a 20-year-old doesn't want to do. So I sort of didn't go back there anymore. But the thing that disappointed me about that so much was that um, they never contacted me again uh, through mail or even phoned me to ask me why I, didn't, why I didn't go back. So that, and then quite a few years later, you're, you're all really young in here, so you, I don't know if you, <laughs> if you remember the um, um, television programme uh, that Gareth Gates was in, uh, Pop Idol? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was watching that one night, it was on a Saturday night, and he, uh, I remember thinking, if he can do that in front of millions of people, because he has a stammer. And then I, it's about time I did something about my stammer, because I was in my early 40s then. And I was, or late 40s, sorry, late 40s. And I was sw switching words about and just saying the things that I could say. And if you know anyone that stammers, you know that the hardest thing for a lot of them is to say their name. And that was one of the hardest things for me to do. And I still get stuck sometimes doing that, but it's, it's, uh, it is uh, a hard thing to do. And I, around about that same time, I signed up um, to go on a three-day speech therapy course with an organisation called Starfish. And they help people that stammer. So I went on that three-day course, and they taught, uh, teach you like a breathing technique that helps you to control your stammer. So I, I did that. And I think the thing that helped me was that, with that was that I was um, opposite people that stammered, so they knew the sort of things that, you know, that I've been through. So they was um, really supportive, and I still go back there now. And the thing that helps me, or one of the things that I've been on, is a young person's course for 12 to 16-year-olds. And uh, helping them has really helped me as well. And I, I promised myself that I would do this, and I've, I've done that. And I've joined a thing called Toastmasters as well, which is um, 
a uh, club that uh, teaches you public speaking and leadership skills. And that's really helped me as well. That's really good. And one more promise that I made was I see... Uh, I went on um, a Toastmasters uh, event quite a few years ago and there's a lady there from Spark. She was talking about Spark and everything. And I promised myself that I would come along to Spark. And, um, well, I have, so. <laughs> uh, so, uh, 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 thank you very much. That was Brian. We could have stopped it there, but we like you and our stories about promises. So here's Abel with one more. Enjoy. All right, so my story is a story from seven years ago, a time in which I had just arrived in London, and you can probably tell from my appearance, seven years ago, I was roughly 10 years old. Um, so my view of the world was narrow, and I didn't know London. I had just arrived, and everything was bigger and scarier. And I was subletting a room in Camberwell Green, which is, we're going to say it's over here. Uh, I don't understand geography. Uh, and then I uh, was invited to meet my friends in Bethnal Green in a flat chair. Yeah, come along. I have this new flat chair. It's really cool. We have this uh, two Australian sisters that are sharing a room and this French DJ uh, that's sharing another room. And this is all sort of like lovely. And I'm expecting something kind of cool and fly. And yay, I'm in London. And, uh, and so I'm going to Bethnal Green, which we'll say is somewhere over here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I get there. And they live in a shithole. Which is fine, you know, I don't judge and stuff, and we're like uh, drinking Stella's and um, living it up, you know? And so after a few kind of like joints and beer, which is kind of like at the, at the point, the top of my drug use, everything beyond that is kind of like bad people territory, you know, young, judgmental sort of person. Um, and and the Australian sisters who were sharing a room uh, are like, hey guys, uh, this is kind of boring. We're thinking of going to a rave tonight. Uh, do you guys want to come with us? And I'm like, yeah, I've never been to a rave. Uh, it sounds cool. And I imagined, you know, kind of like partying in a forest and just kind of like going all night, and it's great. Uh, and so and so, kind of like, yeah, we're gonna go to a rave. We're a small group of people. It's amazing. Um, so we get on the train, and then we get on the bus. And then we get on another train, and then we walk, and then we walk, and then we walk. It turns out this was in an abandoned factory in zone 17,000. Um, so have have like no idea where we are. And at that point, we've been going for like three hours. I have no way of going, getting home. We are past sort of like TFL network. And, and we're lost. We have no idea where this place is. We followed for a good while. We followed... Um, uh, we, we followed a group of people that looked like people that would go to a rave. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it turned out they were like comforted in their choices of direction by the fact that they had people following them. They had no idea where they were going either. So we're walking around the streets for hours. Well, what felt like hours, I have no idea. Um, until we meet an actual DJ from that rave party. It is like, hey guys, I'm mixing at three o'clock, come with me, it's gonna be awesome. And he's like, you can feel he's twitchy and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's like things are happening. Um, and uh, like the door entrance is, is uh, 
three euros or five euros or nothing much, but some of us are stingy. So he's like, yeah, but don't worry about it, guys. I've got my stamp and I'm a little bit sweaty so I can sort of like give it to you. <laughs> and, uh, and so two of us got in for free. And, and I'm still chuffed, still pumped up, you know, uh, even though we've been walking for so long. And we arrive at that place and it's an actual abandoned factory. And we got in and we've got in for like, we, we walked so long and we can travel so, so far to get there. And I arrive and the first thing I see, we're in a dark corridor to get inside. Um, first thing I see on the left is a dark room with people kind of curled up in the dark. This is like bad trip room basically. And then that's to my left and then to my right is the toilets that are basically sponsored by Satan. So, so I'm like, what the fuck am I doing right now? Uh, and then and and then we go forward past those two fucking nightmare rooms and we arrive and there's two ginormous dance floors but the only lights are black lights and triangles of colorful kind of cloth are hung around and the music is exactly the same in both rooms but it's separate songs it's just like you need to pay attention, it's different DJs, and they sound exactly the same. It's progressive trance for the people amongst us who know about that, like, I don't understand your taste in music. Uh, I, cause, and, and see, you know, still a bit judgmental. Um, so, so I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm at the other end of the world at a party of music I hate with people I kind of judge and fear. Um, so, so, what, what am I doing? And that's when the, the Australian sisters just go, MDMA! And, uh, and so they have this little bag of MDMA. And at that point, you know, I'm like, oh, I prefer natural stuff and alcohol. Um, but still, I've gone this far. Oh, I have to end. Um, yeah, the, sorry, I can't finish this story. <laughs> All right, um, so I'll try to speed it up. I take MDMA, I have a lovely time. This place is filled with love. Someone slaps Estella out of my friend's hand, not because he wanted to fight, and my friend is really tall, but because he had, no, he slaps a foster out of their hand, and he wanted to give him Estella because Estella tastes better, and they had a hug, and they had never met, and they never saw each other again. It was a beautiful <laughs> moment of love, and we had so much fun, and then I came home, uh, much later on, after having slept on, uh, like fallen asleep on the sort of like night bus and woken up like the other end zone 70,000 but in the other direction. And I'm like, this is not London anymore. This looks like a very quaint village. Um, and, uh, and I wait and I like wait for the, for, for the bus and stuff like that. And the bus finally arrives and I run and I hit my hand on the, uh, my head on the, um, you know, the sign that says like bus 17 goes here. Um, because I'm so happy to see the bus coming, so I'm like running like a dog that sees the master going like, um, And finally, after a long while, I get home, and it turns out this room, the flat chair I was subletting a room in, had a party that night, and so when I um, opened the door to my own room, I see a naked male butt just kind of like rising out of the sheets. Um, like a, like like a sunrise in the Himalayas, but in reverse. <laughs> and uh, and 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 he's like, "Who are you? I this is my room. This is my bed. Fuck off. Uh, did did I sleep here? Yes, you did. Did we sleep together? No. Go away. And uh, and I had to work that day, so I went to work. It was a pretty good night.
Thanks for listening to Spark True Stories. If you love what we do, please help us spread the word by leaving us a review on iTunes. For more true stories and to see a live event, head to stories.co.uk.